Hello and welcome to Store Stories, LCF's object-based podcast. I'm Susanna Cordner and I'm joined here today by Beatrice Balin, who's the Senior Curator of Fashion and Decorative Arts at the Museum of London. Beatrice, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> um, so in these podcasts, we ask people who work in or with fashion to bring in an item from their work or from their wardrobe, and we use that as the basis of the conversation to show how differently people look at objects depending on their um, fashion background and perspective. So to kind of get us started, it'd be useful if you could describe your own practice, what your role here is and what it entails, please. Yeah, so I'm, um, as you said, I'm the senior curator of fashion. So there are two fashion curators here, myself and my colleague Tim Long, and then one textile conservator. And um, what we do, well, my work, and this will come out later, mm. has a lot to do, I'll, I'll take on a lot of objects, mm. So, which in itself is quite a lot of work. Um, so we, we get um, sent a lot of, a lot of people send us stuff in and say, do you want this? So I... Tim, Tim as well, but I deal, I deal a lot with that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so we, we here, we don't work on exhibitions very much. Mm. We have sort of smaller displays we work on, or we sometimes feed into bigger um, exhibitions, so we might have dress items in there. But for me, it's quite a lot of uh, collections work, really. Mm-hmm. So taking in new acquisitions, trying to upgrade information, and if I have a lot of time, um, trying to write about them for our Discover area, for our website. Amazing. So selecting the objects as they come through and then mm. rooting out the stories behind them. Um, so everyone I'm speaking to who comes from a kind of fashion history or a curatorial background, um, the way that fashion is looked at at their institution uh, really depends on perspective. Say if it's an anthropology department in a university versus a design museum. Um, how is fashion framed at the Museum of London? So, as you would expect, um, we collect things to do with London. Mm-hmm. So, things that were designed here, made here, sold here, worn here, not necessarily all of these together. Mm-hmm. So, the museum is quite old, it's about 100 years, more than 100 years old, and interestingly, from the start, fashion was collected. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but at the beginning, they weren't so um, distinguishing about things, so they, they, we might have things that are made in France, obviously mm-hmm. 18th century dresses and things, yeah. so now it's quite strict. Now it has to be uh, has to have a link with London. We're social history museum, so mm. we're not necessarily concerned with whether it's a good design. Mm-hmm. We like we have nothing against good design <laughs> at all, um, but that's not that's not the main thing. We're yeah. sort of trying to figure out does it say something about the history of London and mm-hmm. more importantly, almost at least for me, the history of its people. So that's mm. what what's important for us. Fantastic! I really like that idea. So it's the wearer that draws you in rather than the kind of finished effect. Yeah, I mean, it could be the maker yeah. as well, the story of them. Um, I mean, we have a really good ready-to-wear collection, mm-hmm. and um, that would that we probably maybe haven't done enough of that, but that would be really interesting also to look sort of more into the sort of ready-to-wear um, history of London. Yeah, absolutely. I think mm. we'll talk about that more later, but yeah. so important here. Yeah. I think something that people really underestimate now yeah. is seen as a style city rather than a production city. Um so what, how you've got a clear passion for your subject, and I'm interested to know uh, why curating. There's, I'm talking to lots of different people mm. perspectives. Um, obviously, I'm a curator too. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, how the objects are obviously really important yeah. to you as a part of the puzzle, rather than kind of looking at something and then uh, backing away for your research. How yeah. does the curator come to be? So to give, to, I could take a long time talking about that but I'll try and make it short so basically I was always interested in clothes mm-hmm. I could tell you my favorite outfits from when I was three or four mm-hmm. um, so I thought I'd become a fashion designer mm-hmm. 
Uh, no, I wanted to be actually I wanted to become a fashion journalist. But in mm -hmm. Germany, you had to study fashion design to become a journalist. That's, That's how it worked. So I and I knew I wasn't very good. Mm -hmm. So I I somehow got through it. And we had a like a module which was about the dress history, and I mm -hmm. loved that. I really mm. really enjoyed that. And I thought, oh, maybe I could go into that. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit between that or trying to get into costume um, design. But again, so I'm not I'm not really yeah. good enough at that. Yeah. So um, and then I heard about the course here. The, in England, there wasn't a course in Germany you mm. could do in dress history. So I, I went and did the MA at the Courtauld. And um, at that point, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. But I was lucky I got an internship at the v &A. Mm -hmm. So I was there. And then I, I just really enjoyed working with objects. And I went to Kensington Palace and worked there for a while. And a bit of, bit of, bit of teaching, went back to Kensington Palace. And, that, and now I'm here. And um, while I'm not a good maker at all by any stretch of the imagination, I do, I do like um, looking at clothes. And I do like having sort of different, what is nice here in the museum, you don't just have clothes, you mm. have, you know, photos, brochures, catalogues, yeah. um, tools. So to look at that and then piece the story together, I yeah. really enjoy that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm. So that's something I'm trying to do at LCF is kind of capture the full fashion cycle. Yeah. And I think that's something that perhaps somewhere that's specifically focused on design aren't necessarily able to do. And mm. That's a luxury mm. yes. of ours. And also of being kind of um, a city specific, yes. I think, as well, because mm. you're, you're literally mapping out the process. That's really nice. So um, kind of touched on this in a way, but I'm, with the podcast and with the people I'm interviewing, sometimes I'm almost introducing the idea of objects being an important thing to, to lock away and store and the different ways in which we use um, fashion pieces and different practices. Um, with you, I'm preaching to the converted. But, um, so it would be great if you could give an example of the way in which you use objects in your work, um, but also perhaps the way in which researchers or members of the public have used the collections if they come to see you here. So if we start with members of the public, I mean, that is this, or, or students mm, or researchers, yeah. it's such a variety. You almost, you know, it's almost impossible to talk about it. Like last week, someone came in who was particularly interested in the use of whalebone or baleen, mm, mm. so um, took out stuff from the 17th century to sort of late 19th. Um, then we might have people... Um, that pe there's quite a lot of interest at the moment in darning and mending, okay, so yeah. it goes in in fashion, and, mm. in, yeah, in phases. So we we have that quite a lot. Mm. Um, what we don't seem to get so much at this point is sort of people looking at designers, clothes and biographies really mm. um, are fashionable. So we get a lot of student groups coming in looking at that. Mm -hmm. But also there seems to be quite a lot of interest in exactly that. How do you look at clothes and mm. how do you find clues mm. so it's a sort of big variety yeah um, I mean sometimes people come and look at like they're interested in Pavlova or something mm. like that so that might happen yeah um, yeah and then then do you find is that like a pilgrimage because of the person associated with the piece or is it more like them piecing together the wider story I find that contrast quite yeah, I think with Pavlova or ballet, we mm. often had specialist interest groups, okay. so it's almost more like a pilgrimage. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so the sort of bigger story, maybe, maybe I can't think of something recently, but um, I'm sure that people do that do mm. that as well. Yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I find most exciting is a dress that I might get out for. Uh, a tailor who will look at it completely from a practice perspective I could then get out for someone else and they have an emotional connection or excitement about that person and you know I've had people cry when they oh, look at dresses I think I think one could write a whole essay about mm. people crying in the store yeah. I mean I, I think I almost think if if there was curator school mm. I think they should have a module about yeah. how what do you do because I've I've had that 
quite a bit. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, I think that that's something that should be noted about creators in general. I think um, Edwina Evans, my old uh, brilliant boss, she said that being a creator is part being uh, almost like a social worker because you're dealing with people's most treasured objects or mm. treasured narratives that they want to kind of claim a piece on. And um, we talk about some wedding dresses today, and you know. If you're dealing with uh, with a bride or with a widower or a member of a family, that's yeah. about as personal as it gets. Mm. Um, also, what I think, what I because I'm so used to working here and it's normal for me to for stuff to come in, I I sometimes don't realize how chuffed people can be. Mm. Um, and people sending me chocolates saying, "Please, you've taken this. Don't send me chocolates. I'm yeah. not allowed to take them." Yeah. <laughs> but you know, some people really, really pleased, yeah. and I I. I have thought about this more recently because it happened a bit more more recently. Mm. I guess maybe also because museums can take less and less. So sometimes we're yeah. not their first choice. Yeah. Okay. Um. So they might have been yeah. through a through to a few other places, and then they come to us, and then they're really chuffed. And when it when it it, it doesn't always work out, but when yeah, it does, sure, but yeah. it does. And I can also imagine because of that social context to what you collect and why they might feel more listened to perhaps, yeah. because you, you're interested in their story as well yeah. as it's not just like, great, I'll take your stuff for alien. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you asked me what I'm interested in mm. and that that is what I'm interested in. I'm sort of interested in the stories, but what I'm still sort of grappling with, I sometimes, I feel I sometimes take clothes and then jump off and mm-hmm. leave them behind okay. and then get totally into the story yeah. and to how to mesh the two of them yeah. together and keep going back and say, what does it does this say about them or does it say anything at all Mm -hmm. um i particularly like it um if we don't have that much information Mm -hmm. which in the past sometimes there weren't that many questions asked yeah um i did a lot of research about someone's clothes that came in phases and it just said it belonged to the donor's aunt who was a londoner that was it there was nothing else and thankfully the donor had quite a uh this you know, particular name, so I could trace her, mm-hmm. and then sort of more stories came out, and and I sometimes now show these clothes to people and say, if you just had the clothes, yeah, what would you think? But there there is quite a lot in there. There's mm. some, some, for instance, I'm quite sure this one has a sort of cigarette yes. hole, so you know yeah. at least there were smoker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you can build from mm, that. Yeah, mm. I actually do that with students at LCF. I do. A game, or I do it as an evening event with object reading group. Oh, I and, heard about that. Yeah, yeah, and it's really mm. great because yeah, exactly. You start hitting, you know, you might look at it because you figure out certain things. You notice it's got a metal zip or particular fastenings, and then you date it from there. If you've got that kind of background, or you might literally just have a human experience that goes, well, it's been taken. Looks like it's been taken yeah. in twice. She lost weight, or mm-hmm. you know, you start, um, or you know, how expensive the fabric appears. It's great for that kind of connection. I also I do sometimes feel a bit bad because you can sort of start to speculate and yeah, I always that, say yeah. you know this is now going into speculation. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think, um, yeah. But it would be nice also to really make that you know part of it and say okay let's do some writing or you know mm. just write some stories inspired by these whether they're exactly. true or not doesn't, yeah, doesn't matter. Exactly. I think if yeah that's the um, benefit in a way of a lack of provenance if you're clear yes. that you're that you're playing a game mm, um, mm. that's great so within that you mentioned um crying in the store so I think yeah. be, before we move on to objects it might be good to mention where we are and uh the scale of this space and how it's used. yeah good point um so we're in the museum of london store which has a little bit of a weird hum going on in the background <laughs> um we refurbished this uh, about 10 years ago so it's now all nice powder coated mm. steel etc we're sitting in front of the accessory drawers. We have about, we say at the moment, about 23,000 objects. Mm. 
and that they go back to the about the 16th century um, and what we actually don't count within that is archaeological textiles mm -hmm. which some of which are here but the majority is somewhere else we have a big leather collection for instance mm. sort of shoes 16th century 15th century earlier poulains mm. but Tim and I don't really look after that so okay. much so it's pretty much 16th century to now and of course the more you come into our century the more there is yeah and also the more diverse it is. Mm -hmm. So before the 19th century, it's pretty much all elite yeah. clothing, and then it gets a bit more broad, like everywhere else. I exactly. think that's not that's unusual. Thing. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's probably something worth flagging up for both mm -hmm. our sakes here. Mm -hmm. I find that really, you know, I get incredibly excited if you get hold of a piece of working class clothing, mm. but it's not yeah. the norm. No. Um, and that's not because of a kind of elitism within the museum system. It's in terms of what survives. Yeah. There's a sense of privilege, something being passed down a family. And I also yeah. think it's what people think we want. I yeah. I remember there was someone coming here was a he was a specialist in trumpets and mm -hmm. we have this silver trumpet and I showed it to him and then we were in the store it, it sort of outside the dress and textile store because that was a good place to show him stuff. And he said, oh, you, you know, now, now that I'm here, I think I have this thing. I'm not sure you want it, but, you know, it's mm. in my shed. <laughs> and I said, what is, that's always, that always, yeah. that already sounded very good. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, it's my mum's cycling outfit from the mm. 20s. And I thought, yeah, are you kidding me? And <laughs> it's one of, one of my most favourite things, Amazing. you know, and it's so, it's so rare to yeah. get this. The bike he didn't have anymore, but, yeah. but it's, it's a fantastic um, item, um, so I was really, really pleased to get it, but he was sort of hesitant. That's it. Yeah, you, you they kind of you underestimate the everyday, whereas those mm. things get really excited about. I acquired some pieces that Oriel Cullen put in a display just about little ghosts. It was really about that. The things that get lost in the back of a drawer. Mm. Um, and that sounds and then great. They, yeah, and yeah. Then they turn up a hundred years, and it's and it's a piece of accident or they're dead stock in the shop, mm. and they end up being the things we're excited to see yeah. because otherwise, where do they go? Brilliant. Well. Uh, Maybe now we should move on to your objects. Yeah. So I kind of uh, widened the brief for you because it's got such a treasure trove here. So we've gone for more than one object. Yeah. Um, where would you like to begin? So I think we, I'll start with the one we're sitting in front of, which is, um, uh, I'll just flick the top over a bit and I'll try and describe it. So it's, a, it's an evening gown. It's made out of lace and the lace is either applied to net or further down. A um, bit of tissue paper rustling. That further down, it's applied to a to a silk, so it's mm. off white. Um, and we have some photos here of the person who made it wearing it. So, and you can see it looks slightly different. The top, it didn't have sleeves. Yeah. So she made that dress. Her her name was um, Betty Bernie Jones. Mm -hmm. um, that was her married name. She was called Mida or Maida. I'm not sure how you pronounce it when she was born. And she uh, was a dressmaker. So. She she made this dress and then later on she changed it when she wanted to wear it again. Really? It had a bolero, as you can see in one of the photos, um, but that didn't survive. So it's I think I guess she must have used the bolero to make to make the sort of sleeve mm. part um, later on. And we also have some shorts from her. So mm -hmm. they're linen sh shirt, uh, uh, linen shorts, sort of forties I reckon. Well, I know sort of late forties. And you may wonder why there's a picture of a sailor um, <laughs> on top of the shorts. It's actually a very sad story. It's um, her brother who died in '44. He was a sailor and he mm. was on a, on a ship that was bombed. Mm. So she, they had his uniform and she then used that to make, make shorts. Wow. Um, so she sort of reappropriated the piece. Yeah. And, 
when I took it out earlier, um, I, I remember that someone also gave us a little romper suit that was mm. made from a surgeon's. Um, he, he didn't die, but he didn't need the, yeah. the surgeon's um, clothes anymore. Oh, so that was so interesting. really interesting. So I was wondering, is there a story there that Definitely. I have more things that we could put yeah, together? Yeah, um, But the interesting thing, so these were given by um, Betty's um daughter mm. and the interesting thing um, is that she wrote this really long more than 100 pages account of mm. her life and she called it seventh child mm. a londoner's story mm. and it's got quite detailed accounts of her apprenticeships in various um, dressmaking establishments and it's absolutely fantastic um, I just want to say a few things mm. so she she started off um, working at a um, she, she lived in south London I think near Clapham and she was a shirt and pajama machinist, when it exists, <laughs> yeah. um, for a firm named Kerburn Brothers in Old Street in the city. Mm-hmm. And she was a learner there. Okay. And then later she was an improver in another company. Mm-hmm. So she worked at some point in Farringdon, she worked in Brixton, and then she actually took a pay cut to work in the West End because she wanted to learn other things. Right. And you can see in the photos that she was very tall and thin. Mm. So she was also used in a model as a mo- model in one of the dressmaking establishments. Okay. And then she was offered more money to go to somewhere called John Selby um, mm. to also just work as a model there. And the person she worked for at the time said, you have such a gift in dressmaking. Wow. Models are ten a penny yeah. or whatever the expression is. Mm. Don't. Don't, don't do, do it. it yeah but she did <gasps> oh. and she sort of writes in her memoirs how stupid i was oh. and you only learn by your mistakes yeah of and course. so um but what i just absolutely love she sort of talks about the hours she works she talks about what it was like you know she with one of the jobs in in brixton i think she could actually go home for lunch oh. um <laughs> and yeah driscoll's in atlantic road so i haven't done that much sort of research yeah. into um, into all the places she worked That's into. Great. Should do a trail. Yeah, to be that likes to be specified in that way is exciting. Um, and I really like as well her honesty because yeah. this isn't just a, an idealized no. account. Both in terms of you know you're going to stop some figures of your daily routine, but also in her disappointments. She could have done exactly. that as I made a, a fantastic yeah no no and life was great. That she wants her descendants or whoever winds up the collection. Exactly, to know it was it was for her children mm. that she wrote it. Um, she said, what a fool I was and how tragic it is that we only learn by bitter experience. <gasps> so, um, And like many women, um, when she married, um, she, she stopped working in the dressmaking trades, but she always made dresses mm-hmm. uh, or clothes. I think later on, I hope I'm not mixing her up with someone else, she worked for a sort of children's dance company and yeah, she made the clothes the for their... Um, appearances yeah, once a year I was going to say when you said that she carried on dressmaking is an implication whether that's clothing her whole family or just clothing yeah. herself yeah it was yeah. it was that yeah that's it so the home industry I think is really important to highlight yeah keeping a home but also clothing a home <laughs> and also she writes um it's really fantastic she writes about her mother saving money she she there were not 10 children mm-hmm. um she her mother saving money to buy her a sewing machine mm-hmm. and at first it's a sewing machine you do by you use yeah. by hand and then she buys just the treadle and they don't quite work together but yeah. she somehow makes it work <laughs> out <laughs> and then later on she she wants a new one she, i think she wants a zinger and it's 18 pounds which is a lot of yeah. money so she That's does huge. higher purchase right 
And uh, she says the men comes every Saturday when I was scrubbing the floor. He was coming to get the money. Um, but she paid it off early, did. so she, could, she didn't have to pay that much. So there's clear continuing determination to keep her craft going, even if she yeah, makes definitely. that changing career choice. And in a way, um, you know, that of that changing lifestyle and career through getting married as well means that this becomes a, a continued part of her life anyway, yes. just perhaps losing the glamour of the West End. Yes. Um, but it's, it's, yeah. it's quite funny because she writes for her children. She said something, at some point she said something about being, becoming frustrated at fittings. And she said, mm. you know, like when I make clo- clothes for you and you oh, don't stand still, yeah. that kind of thing. That's so, so nice, that mm. transference as well, that it's not just... I think that's something that maybe people can't um, uh, comprehend today. Uh, having a piece made for you, yes, in that West End setting is elite, but you'll also have your son stood on the kitchen table. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And she also mentions making her mother's first modern dress. Mm. And I thought that sounded really yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's really nice. And a, a kind of a crossing of the roles. Mm. Yeah, also, yeah, generational shift. So I didn't say she was born in 16 um, mm-hmm. and she died in 2013. So wow. um, she was in the dressmaking craze. And she starts when she's 14, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. So about 1930. And then sort of. I don't know, I think in the 30s she marries and then she sort of stops. Um, mm-hmm. No, 40s, I guess she must have married. That's mm. brilliant. And does the writing document the uh, changeover of the shorts into a personal piece or anything? Is that something that she captures? I don't um, think mm-hmm. that's in her document. I think yeah. that was something the daughter... Um, kind of yeah, she talks about the brother. About, she yeah. talks about the brother. I don't think she actually mentions the shorts, but I can't yeah. remember. Because mm. I think it sounds like she has such a personal connection to her yeah. making and the idea that that's what you choose to do in that moment. Mm. And, and and whether that's kind of a practical choice in a way or yeah. is it about literally having you close, close to your skin? Yes, exactly. Um, mm. I don't know. Brilliant stuff, fantastic. Um, so we're continuing with other women in their surrounding objects. Yeah, ma- maybe we, we go to um, Elsie's. So yeah. what we also have here is a black evening gown, from, obviously from the 30s. You can see it's bias card. Mm-hmm. It's got straps and it's got a bit of smocking going around, just going on just under the bust just to make the fabric sort of go in. And it's got a quite a deep basque. And it, again, comes with a bolero. Mm-hmm. So not, not dissimilar to mm. the Betty um, Bernie Jones um, dress, but in black, not in white. And I think what makes it look a bit sort of homemade are the flowers. They're mm. sort of little light pink roses on the bodice. And they've artificial flowers are a nightmare to keep. Mm. They're usually crushed. So these are yeah. crushed a little bit. Um, and there's also the little bag, um, a tiny little oh, black yeah. bag. So this was um, the last evening dress made by Elsie herself, mm. Elsie Cordwell. And she was actually a dress apprentice dressmaker near here in mm. St. Paul's Churchyard at a department store. Um, but we don't know exactly which one, but there was his, his cooks, I think, was one of them. Okay. So that's probably where... She, and she's sort of of a similar age. She was born 1910. She becomes a dressmaker. There are, is this, her daughter thought she might have worked for Hartnell mm. in the thirties for a bit. Uh, I think right. he was meant to have given her the the fabric for a wedding dress, wow. and then she marries in thirty eight. She marries a policeman, and again, same thing yeah. happens. She stops. She stops working mm. and also stops wearing evening gowns by the right. sounds of it. So, okay. oh. <laughs> so this is a chain. Yeah, a, a sectorial indication of a chain. Mm. The last hurrah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, but I love it because it's 
it's sophisticated, you know, it's black mm. and you can see that it's very much, you know, 30s silhouette. Yeah. Um, but it's got this sort of sweet touch with the, with the roses and uh, the dress doesn't actually look self-made, but then I think the little bag does a little bit. Mm. Um, it's very sweet. It's sort of quite simple, simply, simply made. Mm. Um, so, but what, what, when I got it out, it was quite interesting because we've got a lot of photos on the table mm -hmm. and this is probably the earliest so it came in 2014 I think all the other pieces we've got out are later mm -hmm. and I think I normally would have now asked for a photograph mm. even I think for a while I used to ask people do you have a photograph of yourself in it or the person in it yeah. and then if they didn't I wouldn't take a photo mm -hmm. but now I try and get a photo anyway yeah. ideally from the same period but if that doesn't work sure, sure. any photo yeah um so that um, I thought earlier maybe I could still try and get yeah, one. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's it. That's, mm. Yeah, I guess continued work you're saying you do on the collection, that's a way of hunting it out. Because mm. I think literally putting a face to a name or a yeah. face to a garment um, would be intriguing. Yeah, particularly if, I don't know, personally I like seeing the full story. I, yeah. We've got wearer's wardrobes at LCF that kind of might go through you know, someone's adulthood and you see how their figure changes or their mm. lifestyle changes. And if it might be interesting to see if this is her last evening dress, if you get a photo from her ten years later, yeah. she's there in her cardigan. Yeah. <laughs> see what happens yeah, exactly. to her next. Yeah, that's really interesting. And how uh, how how much freedom? I mean, you're very busy, but uh, do you get or how many opportunities to kind of go back and recontact a family, say, and try and build up a picture? Um, Literally, <laughs> it's usually you know usually. When I have, when I prepare a talk or something, yeah. you know, when I have to, yeah, <laughs> that's that's when I do it. So with this person, where it just says, said the aunt's donor, mm -hmm. uh, the donor's aunt, sorry, um, that was for a talk. I sort of quite foolishly thought, oh, I will find out more. And yeah. at some point, it didn't look as if I would. Mm -hmm. When I would have just talked about what can you actually get if you don't know any, any anything more. So that's when I when I did that. Um, we have a lot of clothes to do with someone called Lady Delamere. Mm -hmm. It was quite notorious in her time. They're sort of all Hardy Amos. So again, that was for a talk. So that's usually what I do. But recently, what happened was great. We, um, I did a blog post about a fancy dress outfit. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't figure out the family story. And I got it slightly wrong. Okay. And the grandson of the person got in touch oh, satisfying. and <laughs> said great. yeah this is actually what the story is and I actually have got some more things Amazing. which we then took on and it was an Anglo-Indian family the father was Indian the mm -hmm. mother was uh, English and they lived here in, in India so there's some Zaris involved oh, which wow. was amazing but that's a rare yeah rare occurrence. A, yeah, yeah yeah but mm -hmm. amazing to how I have I've had a couple of times where that's happened where a blog post has been a kind of yeah. igniter for more mm. information. Yeah, it's not just about opening the collection; mm. it's about drawing things in. I know, fantastic. So yeah, so we have one woman who's kind of explicitly, consciously, almost archived her own story, and another mm. where you're doing the work. Yeah, um, and I think in that instance, the donor who was the, the daughter just told me stuff, mm. whereas quite I'm again now more. I either ask people to write it down themselves mm -hmm. or I there's more backwards and forwards. Mm -hmm. I write it down, I send it to them, they correct it, and mm -hmm. then they usually come up with more things. So it goes backwards and forwards that's a few great. times, which I didn't used to do. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, think that's, that's better. I think that's fantastic. Mm. So it's sort of embedded that it's a collaboration. Yeah. Than, as you were saying before, when you're filling in the gaps, it's inevitable that you might start creating a story. Exactly. With that, you've got a root document mm. that you know. Mm. Is, is in their words as people yeah oh, that's fantastic I mean what I often would what I like to do is 
you know, often people tell you the best stories when they first come. Okay. But you've never met them. Yeah. You know, you yeah. might have explained the procedure of getting something in the museum, but yeah. you don't want to whip out a recording yeah, thing. Sure. So uh, I often feel I've, I've lost, mm-hmm. lost things. Yeah. But then people also tell you things. They say, I'll tell you, but don't write it down. Yeah. That has happened as well. Yeah. So in some ways, maybe it's a good thing not to have a, yeah, a recording. And mm. again, it's it's the fact that sometimes as a curator, it's an act of trust. Mm. So they want exactly. to invest in you, but not necessarily in, mm. in the public in that way. Yeah. Um, mm. Particularly. I mean, it. Yeah. Now that you say trust, it. it yeah. They do get told very yeah. personal things. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Which is normally a blessing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so I was greedy because you gave yeah. me two different options. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we discussed the pieces and the two collections for the first option. And then uh, you also got some things to do with two wedding dresses yeah. that required, I believe. So, yeah, as you can imagine, we get a lot of wedding dresses mm-hmm. offered. And yeah. at some point, we had a sort of almost like a ban on wedding dresses. Mm. Um, but these two um, were so fantastic. And they're, they're slightly similar stories. So maybe if I start the one where I just have the photos. Mm-hmm. So that was a wedding dress um, from 1939. And the, um, the bride, I think, again, made it herself with a friend. Mm-hmm. And it was what they called a rainbow wedding. So all the bridesmaids had different colors. <laughs> I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> And we have these wedding photos, beautiful studio wedding photos uh, in frames made by the groom. Mm. Um, and, and then I went That's a sort of bit mad and we took a lot of, we have, we have the wedding cake topper. <laughs> uh, the wedding dress is a sort of artificial silk, yeah. oyster, oyster color. Um, I can't remember whether we have the white veil. Um, but then we also, yeah, we have a lot of um, extra photos, I think almost 20 photos yeah. or so. So that's, of course, I'll, I'll speak to our photography curator yeah. um, or sometimes our printed ephemera curator because mm-hmm. we also, in this case, we have, have the passports of the bride and groom. Yes. And the reason for that is that they wanted to go on a honeymoon and their father of one of them, I can't remember, said, I think there's a war coming, you better go on holiday now so they actually mm. went away together before they married ah, which is quite interesting <laughs> to, to Ostend yeah, in Belgium wow. so we have a photo of the groom in, in swimming trunks yeah, on excellent. the beach and chaperoned or? I think so oh, wow. and this is um, modern father encouraging you yeah <laughs> so this is what they got the passports for they hadn't right. been out of the country before so yeah. I thought that was a good, a good thing to have yeah. as well yeah and there are lots of photos of the bride going to uh, maybe Margate or some of the seaside town so I thought it would be good so we can tell a sort of longer story definitely yeah right but the fact that you're able to collect the context Mm. of the garment rather than just the garment and then you know you've you can't you're not supplanting the original material in a way you can supply Mm. um, it in situ and that was quite a lot of backwards and forwards with the family story and also I guess it's also I think always about the display I Mm -hmm. mean they're all meant to be potentially for display and as you know, we will move to a new museum in a mm. few years. And I think just having an item of clothing and a caption is just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I hope that, well, we don't have images for everything sure. of, of the people. So we need to come up with something else. Um, but I'm also thinking now, well, how can we make the display more interesting? How, mm. how we can, t- and it's quite hard to tell a long person's 
story yeah. in a display. Yeah. I I think I I've never seen that solved. No, no um, satisfactorily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's all these transitions. Because mm. um, it tends to be kind of a selection point for a particular period of their life. I think uh, and kind of glad that you've raised that because we've spoken a lot well, quite earnestly I think probably yeah. <laughs> about our drive to kind of accurately capture a story mm. and frame an object but also you've got the responsibility of display so when yeah. you're looking at these things it can't just be that you've fallen in love with the person you have mm. to consider its um, public importance but also how it's going to look yeah mm. do you think the move um to the new museum is affecting what you collect and why are you picturing that new gallery when you look at something that's coming in mm, not necessarily i mean we always um if you take something on here it has to go through a committee mm. so you always almost have to make a pitch for it yeah. so it does have to have display potential mm. um we don't know exactly what's going to happen so i can't sort of pick you yeah. know pitch it for a particular thing the this wedding dress i've just mentioned um, we also partly took on because both of the families were working in the docks mm. and they were living in the docks. So that was a potential to go in our museum in Docklands, yeah. um, which yeah. I hope it will at some point. Yeah, so that, that was also the, the idea behind behind this one. That local lens and having that specific, that's so nice, that's yeah. fantastic. I really like the idea that you're mm, kind of attaching to different neighbourhoods as well as different trades, mm. as, as yeah. well as obviously Londoners. Mm. It's fantastic. Yeah, so so the last one um, is actually in terms of the way it looks is quite similar. So it's again sort of oysterish coloured dress, artificial silk. I think it's quite shiny, mm. and it's got some really nice uh, embroidery on the on the collar and then also on the cuffs. And the embroidery was made by the cousin of the bride. Mm. And again, we have the wedding photos, and the cousin stands to the bride's left. Mm. And even if you didn't know anything about it, you can sort of tell that the cousin is quite chic. She would, yeah. She's wearing gloves. She has some sort of fancy brooch. Mm. Um, her hat is at a, quite an acute angle. Yeah. <laughs> and she apparently was a bead worker at Norman Hartnell's. Amazing. So she, um, the, the bride made her dress herself, like in the mm. other instance. Yeah. Um, but the, the bead work was done by the cousin. Um, and... So that's partly what we why we took in because I still remember the email coming in from this family, um, and I should probably say that the bride net bride name. So she was called ah uh, where is it? Oh, get it in a moment. Um, so, so the the bride. Um, yeah, the, the, the donor was the daughter and she just wrote in an email and said, I've got this wedding dress. And I said, mm, wedding dresses, I'm not so sure. And then she sent the picture and she talked about the Hartnell connection. And I thought, oh, no, that, this is this is, sounds amazing. Yeah. So this was Elizabeth Amelia Catherine Marner and she married in 1938. Um and uh, her husband worked for the post office. Uh, so, But the other interesting thing about this dress is it, it ended up being worn four more times mm -hmm. to weddings. So the next time um, was in 42, I believe, by her sister. Mm -hmm. And then by two uh, coll colleagues. She yeah. worked at, uh, again, also at the post office. Mm -hmm. And the last time was by her brother's wife. Yes. Oh, well, so, that's so um, I like that it's friends as well as family. Cause, yes. Yeah, because it can, that's, uh, is it, well, I'm being presumptuous, but that is, that's a result of wartime rationing. I presume just, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, I presume so. Loading out a dress, but, and I've read other accounts of that happening, and I really like the kind of sense of community within yes. that, that it becomes um, a talisman of, uh, or a piece of good luck in a yeah. way to pass it between you. Sadly, it didn't bring good luck to everyone. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was, there was some, crying related to to right. this um, okay. but the couple stayed 
they stay together um, okay. their, their their entire life. Um, yeah, so that that's a really interesting story. And the colleagues, we don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. So it'd be not. I hope yeah. that either by having a blog post about it or putting it on display, I yeah. hope that some people recognize it um, and say oh yeah yeah so (laughs) that's so intriguing because I can imagine that being an interesting or a noted story within a family because I have the exact same thing where a lot of people offer you their wedding dresses and because that's because that's something that you almost automatically keep um, and therefore people take great pride in having Mm. their grandmother's wedding dress or similar um, so if in your family it's a story that, well, actually, Granny borrowed it from her colleague or her mm. cousin, mm. Um, I can imagine that being quite an analysis, but it's something we just can't relate to today. No, no, it's so different now. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. Mm. Um, I love wartime brides. I like the reappropriation of fabric as well. Um, I've seen you using curtain fabric and things. Yeah, pretty impressive. That's great. And I also love the fact um, when you're looking at a wedding dress, something, again, that you have by being able to capture the context and the social story behind it is that's not the, the happily ever after at the yeah. end of a Disney mm. film or a fairy mm. tale. You then look at what happens next, mm. both in terms maybe of how it relates to a style or a period, but also their personal story. Mm. Fantastic. We've had such a great range. Yes. Mm. Right. Thank you. Um, I was a couple of questions kind of round mm. up. I was interested to know... For the people I'm interviewing, they're either going with something that relates to their personal practice, say if they're a designer, it's a piece they've produced themselves, or they're going something that's very much rooted in their own um, life story and background. Um, you've spoken a lot about life story and background, but it's not been yours. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you uh, um, had any draw to choose something from your own outfit or uh, your own wardrobe, sorry, or if um, you know choosing from the collection was always going to be the choice. <laughs> um, I think if I'd chosen something else it would have probably been something from my family rather mm-hmm. than from myself although there was one thing um I think I've, I've still got I don't I'm not a, someone who keeps stuff weirdly mm. in my well, private life my yes I want, uh, yeah. yeah I'm always cl- c- uh, interested in curators whether they're collectors as well no like, I'm not as often as I think I said no I'm definitely <laughs> not with clothes I've started to collect photos a bit and photo okay. albums and catalogs mm. so the small things that yeah. I can sort of keep but yeah. I don't I'm not necessarily a collector of clothes I do have a few things from when I was studying fashion designs just because I think I wasn't very good and it was really hard for mm. me to make them so sure. I I would never yeah, <laughs> I would never wear them again but I think I made that yeah. that's amazing yeah <laughs> um but they don't really have much of a story beyond that but I've I've got some things from my family my family is from what is now Poland um well one part of it and they had to flee during the war and there's a mm. sort of quite a there's not much left yeah. so I cherish what is there and I've only recently started to look at my own family's history mm. I suddenly thought this is weird I know everyone else's and yeah. I don't know my own <laughs> so I've started that a little bit sort of in fits and starts yeah that's curious drawing into your own story mm-hmm. uh, again I think is quite unusual and um, so yeah next I was going to ask about collecting something but we've covered that so then um with your work and as someone who follows what you do um quite often I find the theme of movement or dancing turns up you said in your twitter bio it says you wish there was more synchronized dancing yeah <laughs> and that's something that um balls and kind of masquerades come up on your mm, um your yeah, own podcast yeah. and then your talks and things I think you should plug your podcast as well, <laughs> by the way. Um, so we've spoken a lot about context in terms of situating it in London or in a life, but um, something I feel as a creator sometimes is the frustration that you don't get to see a garment in action on the mm, body as yeah, it was meant yeah, to be experienced. Mm, um, I wondered how you feel about that, particularly if um, dancing is a drive for yeah, you yeah. the subject. No, it is. It is. 
I think it's okay in a way, but but because it, when you get to the when you get to the advent of film, mm. then you can yeah, sort of sure. substitute it in a way. Um, I'd you know I'd love to be transported back to the Middle Ages just for an hour, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not more than that. But I I just find I'd love to see what these clothes mm. really really look like. Mm. I think once you get a lot of um, you, you know, once you let the, get a lot of people of uh, images of people dancing, there's a sort of famous Hogarth painting I love. It's a sketch. It's often sketches okay. in the sort of earlier period, yeah. 18th century or earlier. I think there is enough to make you understand what it was, what it was like. Mm. But it, I, I don't mind so much. But I find that when I try and persuade people here that we should have a dress exhibition, what I sometimes get is, oh, it'll be just lots of clothes okay. on mannequins. Mm. And I think, yeah, I guess there will be some of that. Yeah. And I think that's when it's... And I find when I go to dress exhibitions, often people congregate around the videos because yeah. that's something you can really relate to. But looking to something static is a bit more alien. Yeah. Although we do it in shop windows and we do it in yeah, shops. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I sometimes wonder whether we sometimes need to align that more. Yeah, true. Because people do know... I mean, they do mail order. They do know if yeah. I buy this, it's probably going to look like this and move like this. Yeah, yeah true. Um, we do already have something that we... Well, we grapple at one remove. Yeah, okay. but it's yeah. more... I mean, obviously, if you see an 18th century dress, that's quite a different story yeah. to buying a sweatshirt from yeah. <laughs> a top shop or whatever. So, yeah, it is um, it is something to think about more, I guess, if if you're not talking, looking at clothes all the time. I guess it's something I myself maybe forget. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, that's one good one. Uh, continue to think yeah, about it, I think. How, how to deal with it, yeah. <laughs> um, so, as a final question, you've spoken about the fact that you don't really actually collect, and um, but I'm always intrigued when I'm speaking to curators. There's a joke among fashion curators, that, well, curators in general, really, curatorial black, and how if we're oh. looking at clothes every day and work, that, yeah, <laughs> half of that, but it's, yeah. it's a whole black, it's yeah. um, So I was interested in, you know, if you infer so much and draw so much from the stories that, clothes tell about other people is that something that you're conscious of in your own style and the way you dress that's really interesting I thought you were going to ask me whether I look at people and ah. you know we well, can answer that as well that's a yeah. question too <laughs> um which I do um I'm in 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 always intrigued by what what people are wearing mm -hmm. so I do notice it and it sounds weird I think once you say that people think oh what did what does what did she think today yeah. and it's not that I it's agree just, I'm not judging no I'm just, no yeah, I'm just I'm thinking just, mm, that's yeah. interesting putting these two things yeah. we, had, we had someone working here in finance and she had she often wore really big sort of flowers as brooches and mm. stuff and then I was always so intrigued how, yeah. how she put her clothes together and she wasn't necessarily fashionable but it was there was obviously a, a sort of style and look yeah. so I'm really interested in that in terms of Myself, um, I, I maybe I don't think enough about what impression I give. Um, I no, I don't. I don't think I think about that very yeah, much. Mm. That's so interesting. Mm. And yeah, and I think that would be a relatively common answer. And it's it's so intriguing, isn't it? That we're we're looking out yeah. rather than looking in. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Museum of London as you know as long term staff, and they might want to acquire one of your pieces someday, well, and someone else will be charged with saying what it means. <laughs> interesting, because we do have from past curators. Oh, we really? do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have some things. I think for me, I have I had actually thought about that at some point, and I always wear Converse, and I yeah. think it would have to yeah, be one of those. Yeah, yeah, it would yeah, have yeah. to be brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, on the note of Converse, I think we'll draw it to close. But thank you so much, Beatrice. That was brilliant. Oh, thanks for coming. Thank you.